welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwane. Okay, so we are closing out our series called Found, Redeemed by Christ. And as we're closing it out, I, um, I have been called a senior person many times, but I didn't come to church to be called a senior person. That's, that, that's a bit painful. And then to be called an elder, as opposed to Malcolm, an elderly person. At least he didn't go there. Senior elder. But I can whistle, so it was a, it was a good moment that we that we had together. So we are going to um, to take a step further today, and we are going to talk not about Mary Magdalene. We are not going to talk about Thomas. We are going to talk about one of the other people that Jesus met after he rose from the dead. We're going to talk about this guy called Peter. Now, when you think about Peter, you think about this person on whose faith God said, Jesus said, I am going to build my church on you. And on your faith, Jesus refers to his faith as on this rock we are going to build the church. So on this rock, 2.89 billion people today serve God, profess to be Christian. 2.89 billion, that's like nearly a third of the world population was brought to Christ on the basis of what Jesus did, and then a church built on this guy, Peter's faith, the rock. And then, I wonder if he was a WWF wrestler, what we would call him. We can't call him the rock because that's been taken. So you would have called him something else. But he was like the man, he was the business, he was like a hero of the faith. Well, that's the way that the secular world would refer to him. So if you have a following of like nearly 3 billion people, then you are a man. But what we learn today about Peter is he is just that. He is a man. He is a normal man, a normal person, a normal human being like you and I. Because today we are going to look at how he is a man just like you and I, a person, a human being that Jesus found in failed conviction. Now, to, to just turn the phrase failed conviction very quickly, so I don't know if it's just me and Peter or whether it's you as well, but there, there have been many cases in my life where I have been absolutely, definitely sure about something. Only through a cruel twist of fate to realize that I was definitely deeply, categorically, unequivocally, unmistakably mistaken. Has that happened to you before? I was so sure, and then something happens, and then I am not so sure. Yes, that's what I feel like today. God had laid this word on my heart now, and 
we did the recording earlier, and in this, in this morning even, the Lord was like up in my face the whole time, and he, there's some other things. I was so sure about what He wanted to say, and now, now there's just things going around in my head about what I think God wants to say, and I was so sure, but now I'm not so sure. So you have to bear with me. There's going to be some other things that I think God wants to do today. But if that's you and that's me, or maybe it's just me, TK, that you as well. Never. Always sure, TK. Always sure. Well, I'll tell you a quick story about if, you, if you're not sure whether that's you, I'll, I'll share a quick story just to, to see whether this resonates more. So when I was younger, not as old as I am now, when I was younger, I, I did a lot of work in New York. So I was an investment banker, and it was like a lot of fun to fly across Atlantic and, you know, not sleep. And uh, it was very, very exciting at that point in time. So I was in New York, and I remember I was there to sell one of our flagship transactions out of South Africa. And I was going to see a lot of investors, and I was going to sell this product to them. And I was walking, I've got this picture up. Where's this in New York, Manhattan? Times Square. So I was walking in Times Square, it was day, it was not night. So I was walking in Times Square, and as you see these, uh, these advertisement boards, they run across these buildings. And I was walking there, and I was preparing myself for this uh, pitch that I had to do, because it was quite stressful, it's quite intimidating to be this Oki from Pretoria, and now you have to go and sell stuff that you don't really understand to people that you don't really know. And I was there, and I, I was giving myself this pep talk. And as I was walking, I saw in the corner of my eye something that read Bloomberg's Global Financial Awards. And I remembered that we had entered one of our transactions into this award. And as I looked up, it said, this company that I worked for has won the Emerging Market Deal of the Year Award in 19... Okay, so it was a long time ago. And I thought... This is amazing. This is like, maybe it's the transaction that we, that we submitted. And then it said, this company, the first collateralized loan obligation of its kind in the world. I'm like, wow. And I looked around me because that was a transaction that I was part of. And I was looking around me to see whether the people around me knew that I was part of this transaction as they were, <laughs> as they were looking up because it was there. And as I looked up to show people to it, it was gone. My two seconds of fame. And I knew that this was a word from God that I was going to land this transaction because I was the man, I was the business. I was in Times Square and this thing that I was part of was up in lights. And with this ambition and with this confidence in my heart, I strutted into this office and uh, I sat down and I started presenting and the chief investment officer stopped me within seven minutes of my presentation. Charlie, I was on page three. And the guy said, please stop. And I thought he was going to ask me like in-depth questions and so on. And the guy went, we're not interested. Seven minutes in. Third page. I said, I'm only on page three. He says, I know. I don't want to hear any more. Can you please? He said, please. Can you please leave? And I said, can I please just finish my coffee? <laughs> and he said, you can finish it. <laughs> I'm leaving. Okay, so I finished my coffee and I walked out. Peacock to feather duster in seven minutes. <laughs> hey, 
Hero to zero, seven minutes. It was a horrible experience. Again, maybe it's just me. But these things happen in our lives. We just, you know, you think you're so sure, and then it doesn't happen. Okay, just me and Peter. So I want to share with you before you just think it's me and Peter. Okay, so let's just see whether we know the story about Peter. I want to start sharing from the Word of God, Matthew 16, 13 to 23. So if all the young people and the older people can please open your Bibles to your phones to Matthew 16, 13 to 23. So we're going to read from the CSB. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So let's just pause there. When we read the Word of God, we need to understand the context. We need to sort of study the Bible to be able to understand why would people say he is John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah. So at the time, there was this teaching that the Pharisees brought into the, the tradition of the, of the Jewish people, and that was called transmigration. So it is this concept that the, the people of old, the, the, the big characters, the people that were the business, would, would still exist at this point in time. So when there's crisis in the world or there's crisis in the nation, then people would come and the Jeremiah's and the Elijah's of the world would reappear to help the nation. So that's why the reference is made here to this is what the people say, who you are. But then also when we read the Bible, we not only need to maybe understand the backdrop of the history, we need to also ask God through the Spirit to make it applicable to our reality. And as I was reading through this, I was asking myself this question. So, do I know who Jesus is through my recent experience or am I basing who I think Jesus is based on what my parents experienced of God, what my grandparents experienced of God, what my, what my experience of God was when I was baptized or when I came to Christ. Because many times we settle for God and what He did for us in the past, and God wants to update you, update your experience, because He doesn't want you to live in the past. He wants you to know Him in the present so He can guide you into the future. Who do you think God is? And that's what Jesus went further, and He said, okay, so if you, if you don't really know what other people say about me, verse 15, but you, He asked, who do you say I am? And I want, I want to, somebody to put out a Bible with every question that Jesus asked to put that in red. Because those questions are questions that you and I can answer every single day of our lives because that's the way that we take the Bible of the past inspired by the Holy Spirit and make it relevant in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, who do you say Jesus is? 
Live in this culture, and just again to make the word relevant for today and real for today. It's not something far away. Today in this culture, what we seem to be doing is before we figure out who God is, we first put together what we believe our world should look like and what we want the world to be. And we call that our worldview. This is the way that I want the world to operate, and this is the way that I hope the world to be. And then what we do is we retrofit our perception of who God is to confirm that view. Is it just me? So what we do, for example, is we would say, um, those people, those people are, whatever, enriched And then what we do is we take a bit of Christianese and we sprinkle it over it and we say, And God opposes the proud and He will bring them low. I want nothing to do with them. So I bifurcate my world. I put my world into two different views of the world. And then I take Christ and I sprinkle Him over my view. And I say, this is true. It's quite a warped way to serve the sovereign God of the universe. The one that made me, that one that holds the world in South Africa and the galaxies in his hand. And then we struggle to understand Galatians 3.28 where he says, You are neither Jew nor Gentile. You are neither Klasa nor Zulu. You are neither Zimbabwean or Nigerian. And then I look at the, the Facebook and the feeds and stuff this week, and I, and I look at this night, um, Zimbabwean guy that was stoned to death by a mob in Deepsluit. And I think, how, who do I say God is? Who do I say God is? And then Simon Peter in verse 16 says, You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Of the living God. The first question that Jesus asked in 13 was, who do people say the Son of Man is? Referring to his, his humanity. Born of Mary in Bethlehem. Raised in Galilee as a carpenter. And here, revealed through the Spirit, Peter, the man, says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Referencing Jesus being truly God as well as truly man. And Jesus responds in verse 17. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father, my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So here, this is like your the two minutes of fame moment for Peter. And then the plot twist happens. You know what a plot twist is? When you expect something, after you read verse 17, then you think, okay, so now Peter's going to step out and he's going to do these amazing things. Plot twist. We experienced the blade and I the other day in the house. Um, Miku, our youngest son, he was out on a camp somewhere and we had hoped that him and his sister really cared for each other and that there would be this reunion. Okay, that they would come together. And as he walked into this house, he embraced his sister. And his sister embraced him. And he's not a very emotive person. 
So what he then said was, oh, you smell so nice. I'm like, ah, oh, that is like nice. 14-year-old brother to his 16-year-old sister. And then I think he caught himself and he said, you smell like Doritos. <laughs> I'm like, plot twist. I thought you were going to be there for your sister. Now she reminds you of food that you didn't have for a week. Okay, so there's a plot twist that comes in this section. So then we go to verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised uh, on the third day. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, that will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. From rock to Satan in seven verses. <laughs> what happened? Not just a plot twist. There's something that happened here from where God positions him in the future and his understanding of God now. And I feel that is a word for many of us today. The plot twist in our lives come. Why? Because God reveals something of who he is and wants to be through you in the future. But we have these misgivings at these misgivings at this moment in time. And that's where the plot twist comes. And that's where Jesus wants to meet each and every one of us today. God has got something that he wants to do through your life in this world to make this world a better place. That's why you're here. But there have been plot twists in your life. There have been things that you were so sure about, but they were so wrong. And God wants to come, and He wants to step into that world. And He wants to come and find you where you are today in a peculiar and a demokar state. You think that this is bad, and then, you know, it gets worse, as it does. So we think, we think it can't get worse than this, when you think you've hit the bottom, and then the bottom gives way. So that happens in our lives as well. So when we go to Matthew 26, Peter, this happens, and Jesus said to them in Matthew 26, 31 to 35, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it was written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And here's Peter. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him. And there's no menace or hate or anger in Jesus' voice. I read in Jesus' voice here just a heart for Peter where he says, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In verse 35, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. Jesus is crucified and Jesus dies 
And before that happens, Peter denies him three times. Peter goes from, I will never, to his world being rocked to the core. Peter goes from the rock to being rocked. And I believe that it's not only Peter. I believe that's many of us where we find ourselves. And I want to focus the rest of our discussion just on, on these few verses, Matthew 15, 22 and 23, because it sort of it sums up what I think God wants to teach us today. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned around and he said, Get behind me, Satan. And these words, you are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concern, but human concerns. And I think that's where we get lost. It's because we base our convictions on human concerns and not God's concerns. But God wants to come here today in this room where we are together, and I believe He wants to, he wants to come and show us on our human concerns, and He wants to come and find us by showing us His concerns. He wants to come and make an exchange in your life. If you base your convictions, what you are so sure about, on what you think about this world, your worldview, and then retrofit God into it, you will be lost. You will not only be like a little ship on the ocean, you will drown. And that's why God wants to come and speak into your life today. And I want to focus in, again, just being very real, on some of these I will never statements. And we've got a few up on the screen here. I will never lie. I will never steal. Cheats on my partner. Suffer from depression. I will never, I will never, I will never. And I want to just walk through some of these I will nevers and how they appear and materialize in our lives. Let's check. I will never lie, for example. I will never lie. And then what happens is I, like early in the day, I have a beer, I mow the lawn and I have a beer, and then I get into the car and go and pick up one of our children. And now it's about 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and the police officers pull me over. And they say, Mr. Struffel, did you drink today? And Mr. Struffel, being a partner, he says, yes, I drank today. And then the police says, okay, so, because they have to, because if you say you had alcohol, you have to blow in this little thingy-majiggy. And then they give it to you, and they blow, and then they go in a huddle, and then they come back and say, ah, pastor, 0.2. We are going to lock you up now. Happens. We're going to lock you up. And then he says, no, it's impossible. He says, well, do you now distrust us? And he goes, no. <laughs> and then they say, okay, so you can pay a spot fine of 4,000 rand. Okay, what do you do? I will never lie. Or you on... Um, Online in university, now you have to like write all these tests and so on. And now with online, it doesn't fit your personality. Hey, it's tough. 
And now you fail a few subjects, and now you come into the second year of going online, and now you fail a few subjects. If you fail one more, they will disallow you to study at this university. But it's not my fault. It's COVID. And then there's an online test that you really, really struggle with. And then you think it's a game show, and you say, I'm going to phone a friend to get a few answers. I will never lie. And then you're caught out. I will never cheat on my girlfriend or my boyfriend. And then you have like something that you want to celebrate and you go out to the strip. And then the, the road from the strip to stripping is just short. And then your dignity, who you think you are, who you hoped you would be for your partner, is out the window. How about you get married? And you and your wife or your husband, you're trying to make life work. So you, by this time, you've got like three kids and, or two kids, and you've got debts, and you've got jobs that you want to deal with. And then, you know, you're in church, and you try to bring the church life. And every Wednesday, you go to community. And, you know, you really, really try to, to make this life work. And then all of a sudden, you, you realize that, or you realize it too late, but you and your partner started drifting away. And when you go to community, to the community group, you actually, it's there where you hear, this is what's happening in my partner's life or my husband's life or my. And then somewhere you start to think, sure, okay, but I'm, maybe I'm not so successful in being a Christian and a wife and a partner and a mother and an employer or employee. And then later on you start thinking, well, maybe I'm not even successful. I think I might be failing here. And at some point you start to think you are a failure. And then you start to isolate yourself to such an extent that at, at work somewhere, there's a friend or a colleague that comes and they find you. And for the first time you feel that somebody sees you like in a long time. And being found by somebody with different agendas, you end up having an affair. I will never have an affair. I will never get divorced. I will never have gender confusion. And then what you try to do is you try to get through the most hectic time in your life. You're trying to navigate what is the most frightful, unnerving, confusing time, the, the, the best time of your life. You're trying to get through high school. And then you struggle to make friends, real friends, people that you can bring into your heart. And you really, really struggle with these people. And then all of a sudden... There's just one person out of the thousands around you. There's one person around you that looks at you and they smile at you. And now with all these questions that's going on in your school, you wonder, okay, so how do I really feel about this person that smiled at me? I will never use medication to help me with my anxiety. And then you're sitting at work or you're sitting at the 
university or in the office, and then you hear these, this bad thing that happened, bad news. It's just the next thing that comes at you. And as you hear this news, it's, it's, it's as if the, the blood drains from your body. And as the blood drains, you can feel every inch of your body being like overtaken by this coldness. And as this coldness rushes through your body, you get this funny taste in your mouth. And as you get this funny taste, you, you struggle to, to catch your breath. And you, you're trying to catch your breath so desperately. And you think, is that what an anxiety attack feels like? The next time that it happens, you're on the ground and people staring at you and saying, what, what happened? I will never. And then it happens. What do you do? What does Christ do? What does Christ do that moment where you say, God, I am lost. I build my world on an understanding of who I am or who my partner is or who the people are around me. I build my world on something. I created this worldview and then I took some pixie dust and I put it over it and now this world has been falling apart and I don't know what to do. God, I am lost. And it is to you that God is saying, you are not lost. You are found. What does that mean, Bosov? Well, let's see what that means meant in Peter's life. John 21, 1 to 19. And now you, you need to listen to what God is saying to you today. You feel like you're lost. You feel you haven't even shared with people around you how lost you are because you're not willing to acknowledge it because then you know that you're really lost. John 21, 1 to 19, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. This is after the denial, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus, now the, the resurrected Christ, comes and he reveals himself to Simon Peter. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. And then Peter does this. So when our world fall apart, falls apart, what do we do? We just get back into the saddle. Yeah? You get bucked off, you get back into the saddle. I brush it off. It's as if it never happened. It's like I'm not lost. You are lost. And every time that you just go back into your life and you don't allow yourself to be found by the truth, you just go back and cobble together another truth that will fail. This is what Peter does in verse 3. He says, I'm going fishing. He was a fisherman. God said, I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. What does he do when the chips are down, when there's failed conviction, when his eye will never fall away? He just goes back to what he was doing. And Simon Peter said, they said to him, we're coming with you. And when daybreak came, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the nets on the right-hand side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did. And they called this big number of fish. And the disciples, the one that loved Jesus, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, it was the Lord. He tied his 
parts of clothing around him, for he had taken it off and he plunged into the sea. I just want to pause here. The disciple that loved Jesus said, it's the Lord. And the person that was lost was found. As I was driving here this morning, I felt, I felt God speak to me about this cancel culture that we have in this world. This culture where you see somebody's failed convictions and you cancel your relationship with them. John seeing what Peter did, denying Christ three times. This, this arrogant Peter that just said, I will never, I will never. And then his I will nevers found him lost. What did John do? He didn't cancel Peter. He realized that there will be a time in Peter's life where he needs Christ and he cannot see Christ. And he walked into his life and he said, listen, that's the Lord. And I feel that there are people here today that sit with relationships of people that have disappointed you so deeply. Because you started believing their I will nevers and then it happened. That thing that they promised you will never happen. And I believe God's encouragement to us today is not to cancel those relationships, but to be a John to Peter. To be able to show that person that is so lost, that person that is drowning, that they are not alone. They might not only know Christ, if not for you showing them to Christ. How do you show somebody to Christ? You show them forgiveness. Somebody's life might change today when you pick up the phone and you phone them there where they are lost, where they are confused, where they are dying. And you say, I forgive you. I love God's word because it shows us not only who Jesus is, but how we can be Jesus to people that are struggling in this world. I want to jump to verse 15. This is now after the, the fish are brought in. Jesus and the disciples start making food together. They have breakfast together. And as they sit and, and frequent, verse 15 says, And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Peter. This is now the first time that it's a manu a manu, a man on man, Peter on Jesus, Savior, denier, working together in verse 15. And he said, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? I can just see Peter bowing his head and just saying, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus doesn't say, you denied me. You're not the rock anymore. You are the criminal that you think you are. Jesus says, no, feed my lambs. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And then he says, shepherd my sheep. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved by this point, being asked the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, 
you know everything. You know that I love you. What does Jesus do? He underlines who he is in Christ. You are the rock on which my church will be built. Go and feed my sheep. You may be sitting here today and you're too scared to go and ask God. You're too scared because you are lost. And if there's anything that you hear from this scripture, is Jesus will find you. He will find you in a way that you need it. Three denials. Three acceptances. Three denials. Three acceptances. And then in verse 19, he says, follow me. I don't know where you find yourself today. I know that years ago, I found myself in a place like this. And many times thereafter. I was one of those guys that said, I will never get divorced. Never. And my ex-wife and I dated for three years. We didn't have sexual relations before our marriage. We, we tried to keep it pure. She was Christian. We had like things that we had in common. And, and then in our seven-year marriage, there I realized after that she had affairs. Affairs, plural. And it was, it was confusing. And I said to God, but I, I said, I will never, ever get divorced. We got divorced. I was lost. I was lost. And God came and he found me one through a prophetic word that a friend of mine gave me. And he said, God says, the years, the 10 years of your life that the locusts ate away, I will come and give it back to you. And I thought, York, word, that, that's, that's a word. I need that word. And then God came and he gave me a wife that filled my life in a way that I didn't know it could be filled. And to both of us together, to Blade and I together, he said, follow me. And for 17 years now, we've been following after Christ. I was so lost. But guys, I am so found. God wants to meet you today in a place that you've never allowed him because you've been scared. You've been ashamed. And God says, I died for all scaredness and shame to go away. What I need from you today is to be vulnerable. Not to armor up and protect yourselves, but to open your heart today. 
We're going we're gonna to give ourselves some time. Uh, previously, we, we spent some time together and we were talking with each other. If you're comfortable to do so, sharing that space either with God or with a person next to you that you need to desperately be found today. To allow yourself a moment to be vulnerable enough. Not do what you used to do in the past and that's just armor up and protect yourself against what this could mean. If you feel that you want a moment alone with God, do that. We're going to have some music playing in the background here. If you lost and you want to be found, this is your moment. To either share what you feel lost about with somebody around you or with God. And if you're also one of those people that needs to be Christ to somebody through a word of forgiveness, if that is what the Spirit has brought to your, to your frontal cortex, consider that prayerfully. We're going to give ourselves a, a few minutes of vulnerability through the Spirit and engage with God in that way. And then we're going to close the service. your eyes closed, I want to I want to pray the scripture over our lives I want to pray this Romans 8, 31 to 39 from the message paraphrase over you, over your situation and then I want to invite you to stand and sing a song of worship and declaration over this church, over your life, 
over your circumstances. And as you, as you bow your head, I want to read this to you. So what do you think? With God on your side like this, how can you lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for you, embracing your condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for you? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of his chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for you, who was raised to life for you, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for you. Do you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between you and Christ's love? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, hunger, homelessness, bullying, threats, backstabbing, not even the worst sin listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves you. Of this I am convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between you and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced Will you stand before God and before His church and declare these words over our church, over your life, your family, your reality?